All right, Jake, I have a question for you here. Sweet. Imagine it is 1974 and Ooh. you are a cutting-edge electronic German musician. Oh, that's going to be easy. That's what I am. You're just about to make your greatest album. Where'd you go to do it? A, India. Mm -hmm. B, an industrial loft in the trendiest, artiest part of town. C, Brian Eno's studio in London. Or D, a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere, Germany. What was B again? An industrial loft in the trendiest, artiest part of town. Which town? Uh, probably Berlin. I mean, <laughs> okay. some major German town. Yeah. We don't want to oh, get too man. Stuck. Okay, well, I, I want to say it's either B or D, and I'm going to go with D. Hit me with D. You're right. It's yes. a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere, Germany. Yes. yes. It's 1974 on Louder Than Sound as we explore Krautrock band Cluster's electronic masterpiece, Zuckerzeit. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Louder Than Sound, the podcast where two brothers discuss albums based around themes that we force each other to consider. I'm Jake. And I'm Charlie. And we're Louder Than Sound. And uh, we're here to talk about Cluster's Zuckerzeist from 1974, um, which is Charlie's choice for a gateway album. Um, gateway albums are usually, I think, genre-related, um, as with my album choice from the previous episode, Muddy Mississippi Waters Live, which is just pure blues and was one of the few albums I was buying around that time that led me down a certain kind of huge swath of a path towards other things. Um, but I just want to highlight here a sub-theme I hope we cover in another episode someday, which is the quote-unquote liner notes gateway albums. So uh, back in the day, and by that I mean like 10 years ago, most everyone still bought physical copies of music and looked through the liner notes to see who played on what album. Um, even with an established band like Radiohead, that has like four bedrock members. It's still enlightening to look and see if maybe someone else five. played. There's five bedrock. Oh, I'm members. sorry. You're right. Five. My apologies. Um, and to see if maybe someone else played the cello on that one song or whatever. Um, an example I thought of off the top of my head is discovering Sarah Newfeld, who's an incredible violinist and album maker, because she was a member of Arcade Fire briefly. Um, session players on rock albums in the 60s and 70s are basically a genre under themselves, and you can follow a certain musician around for decades with their various projects and guest appearances, etc. Good call. I'm an old man now, and I really, <laughs> I mean, comparatively, <laughs> I'm old culturally, I suppose, and I really lament how the liner notes of an album um, are now just a Wikipedia entry, and possibly not true, and also not connected to a physical object. But hey, shout out to that particular type of gateway album, and I suppose, shout out to Cluster. Take it away, Chess. Hey, so I feel like we need to talk... Uh, when we get into clustering and how this all works for me, is about uh, krautrock. Mm. Krautrock being the genre, but krautrock isn't exactly a musical genre. 
it's a looser term meant to kind of describe a very diverse group of musicians working in a in a various non-rocky styles, um, including bands like Kraftwerk, Noi, Can, Faust, Tangerine Dream, great names and for bands. Google. Oh yeah, they're great bands. <laughs> Ashrod Temple, Popolvu, and most notably right now, Cluster and their sister group Harmonia. So. Krautrock is less about a certain sound. You know, I have them coming off of blues where we've talked about how it's a very, uh, it's almost a cliche because it's such a very specific, very, very clear sound for most, most blues musicians. And Krautrock was not, is not a clear sound. It's a, it's more of an attitude. Um, Ooh, an attitude. It's often, it's often called also commission music, which translates to cosmic music. Ooh. It's not about that certain sound. It's more about an approach to music and it's very it's very different than what's happening from in the US, UK at the time. Like it's miles away from what we think of as classic rock or straight up rock and roll. It's just, and it's happening the same thing. It's happening in the early seventies. And some of the stuff that's happening is so wild. It's just, it's very different. Um, I read a little bit of those and I, and I think about this. Germany is an interesting place in the 20th century because of world war one and world war two. Uh, and what yeah. happened, you know, the large number of people who didn't really want any of it to happen, but we're still there. And so you get with, you know, this early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, Germany's still dealing with the aftermath of World War II because, you know, nobody dealt with more stuff than they did, you know? They still have large, like, gaps in their population from the soldiers who went out and died. Like, there's just a lot of men at different ages who don't exist in their culture. Um, you see this between World War I and World War II uh, with expressionist art and uh, and the, the different cultural things that came up that were very unique to the period and, and the place. And I feel like that happens with them here too in rock there's just no one there's no other place that i'm aware of that's making music like this at this time mm. and so it's that kind of like approach is very interesting um the term kraut rock was originally considered kind of a derogatory term because let's think about kraut. it it's kraut <laughs> rock right but it's it's been generally embraced now uh, the first track on faust's fourth album which i believe was also from 74 73 74 is called kraut rock so there was some awareness of it even then okay and that didn't but, that didn't name the genre but it no, was it a, a reaction to the name of the genre. My, my understanding was that it was named after it was an awareness of the genre. Yes. So Zucker's like the album was important for me because it kind of opened up this new like avenue of music. I had a little bit of, uh, I had a couple craft work albums. I think I had one Noi album and I kind of liked them, but they didn't like set me on fire. But I got this one and I was like, dang, I got to find out more about what's going on at the time. And it really brought me into all these different bands. Some of the bands I liked, some of them I don't. And you know, but, uh, it was just interesting for that, and it remains probably my favorite Krautrock album. There it is. There Krautrock. it is. Krautrock. <laughs> right, it's your only time. Okay, your only I, time is, was that my one? Yeah. I, I wish. I wish. Yeah. I, your one. You bet your quota at one. I yeah. wish I had known it was only one. I would have. I would have <laughs> saved it. <laughs> so, Cluster the band started out as uh, as Cluster with a K. Ah, yes. And they had started with three members in 1969. Their three members were. Dieter Mobius. Oh, Dieter Mobius. What? What Hans, a name. Hans Joachim Rodelius. What is happening? And Conrad Schnitzler. All right, well, okay, two out of three. So they that. were noisy, kind of proto-industrial, but with traditional instruments. Um, after not very long, Schnitzler left, presumably because his name wasn't cool enough. I mean, that's the only reason I could come up with why you'd leave, you know? You're just intimidated by Mobius and Rodelius. These names are amazing. That's, I mean, those are not even real. That's incredible. I know, like, these are these guys' real names, okay? <laughs> Schnitzler just couldn't cut it. Come on. Schnitzler. They just made fun of him. Get out of here, Schnitzler! Get out! 
You're too, you're too dumb. <laughs> Sorry, quote, quote, quote. Uh, that Morbius. Come on, guys. Morbius, don't think to talk to me like that. Please. I want to be in the band. <laughs> anyway, when he left, they continued under the name Cluster, but changed ah. the K to a C. Well, I was going to say, Boom. I was going to say, did you know that Krautrock originally was with a C instead of a K? So this is all working out. Jake. I'm huh? just making stuff up at yeah. this point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. right. All right. I am. So Cluster, the new Cluster with the C, was just the uh, with just the guys with cool names. Uh, they started out with two albums that are more much more electronic. Original Cluster with a K was not electronic, but it's kind of that similar vein. Is it's just it's more like soundscapes than it is. Hmm. More ambient or something. Yeah, more ambient or proto ambient. You know, there's no discernible melody or beat. There's kind of stuff coming in and out. I'm not wild about them personally. Like, there's just not enough there. And it's not, I mean, I love ambient music. Like, as you know, I'm a huge ambient fan. Sure. Could have done this episode about some ambient album, probably by Brian Eno. But um, it's just don't, they don't, they don't, they don't float my boat. It's cool. You know, That's all right. They don't, they don't, they don't Dieter won't come and hit you on the head or anything. <laughs> he might. He might. <laughs> I forget. One of them, one of them has passed away. One of them is still alive. I can't oh, remember which one's right. Um, so in 1973, after having made two albums as Cluster and having previously made three albums as Cluster, mm, you're right. they moved to the rural town of Forced to build their own studio. Apparently, because this is something that happens sometimes, an antiquarian invited them to live in some ancient farmhouses, hoping to start an artist colony. Ah, damn. Just... I couldn't find any more information <laughs> about this. Like, It feels like this needs more explanation, but I couldn't find it. So this is what happened. It might be It might be some sort of German cult at this point that doesn't want to be I, found you know, out. I, I, know. Maybe that's what he was trying to start, was a German cult. The Antiquarian doesn't really come back into the story again later on, so I don't, I don't know. Great name. But these again. guys brought their families over there, uh -oh. and it was very rustic. They talk about like having to get their own water and making bread and stuff. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. It does actually sound kind of good. It does. And, uh, I'm in. It affected their music dramatically. They completely had to shoot. This could have been a, a, a transition album mm, episode right okay. here. It was a really big transition in their sound, dramatically too. So they're hanging out, you know, in forest, making bread and stuff, mm, butter, delicious. Probably, you know, just having a grand old time with the kids and stuff. Again, I don't know how much. I couldn't find a lot about them personally. I read one thing where they're talking about wives and kids being there, but I don't know. For a long time, I couldn't figure out if they were a couple or not, because the way that they like acted, oh. it couldn't tell if they were actually just you know a romantic couple as well. But it did not seem like that's the case. Although, what's what happens in the cult stays in the cult, Joe. <laughs> you know, you go for it. You do what you do. It's fine. No one's judging you. It's fine. It's early seventies Germany. You can do what you want. Hey. Uh, so one day, just a, a fella comes toddling along. That fellow's name is Michael Rother. Hmm. who is one of the two core members of Noi. And he uh, he came to visit them in force to see about them possibly being Noi's live backing band because they needed a live backing band and they didn't really have one and they had some other guys that didn't really work out. And they're like, Cluster's pretty cool. These guys could probably do it. So he comes along, visits them in force to try to talk them into uh, being Noi's live backing band. He uh, ends up falling in love with getting water and making bread and moves there as well. <laughs> Was there, was there any mention of any religious fervor going on here? This I, is something. No, no this mention, is something. No but uh, this place sounds awesome. I kind of want to live there. Yeah. Know, in an in an antique, an ancient farmhouse. Oh, I also have another question. So, do do yeah. all do all early seventies German kraut rock bands travel in pairs of twos? Like they have to, or is that is there some sort of no, law? No, like kraut work. Kraut work is four. Okay. 
No, I don't know. They are, them... they are apparently all a collaborator on everyone else's album. It's very right. incestuous in that period. <laughs> this is only our first connection right here. But craft, but craft work is like, we can only send two to get to, to at a time. <laughs> to, live, to live in this caveat. <laughs> right. Otherwise, all four of us will end up there. And we don't, we don't want that necessarily. <laughs> They don't know. They, they don't. You know, their aesthetic does not seem to be about living in a in a rural set. They need to like live not. inside of a factory. Definitely, like underneath yeah. the gears. An arts <laughs> like, an arts loft of some sort, at the very least. They just need to like be sleeping underneath an operating machine. Got <laughs> <laughs> picture in the point in uh, Charlie Chaplin's movie uh, Modern Times where he goes into the cogs of the machine and gets stuck in there. Okay, like that. That's that's where Kraftwerk lives. Only, only, but only two at a time. <laughs> only two at a time. So, with Michael Rother showing up, uh, he joins up with Cluster, and they form a new band called Harmonia. Mm. And Harmonia and Cluster, in this period, are pretty much, they're, like, inseparable. And and so, it kind of come, comes in there. And so, the three of those guys hang out, and they make, they end up making two albums. They make one album right away. It's got a little bit of different sound, very different for Cluster, but also different for Noi. Um, it's a, it's got that kind of... They call it a motoric beat, which yeah. now he is known for that, like that kind of driving thing. But it's very warm synth sounds and very, you know, if you can make, you know, synthesizers, especially this is 1973 at this point, like this is really early synthesizers too. Oh, yeah. You can make them sound pastoral and, you know, warm and country like they did it. And I don't mean like the country Western music. I mean like, you know, out in the country type thing. So the the Harmonia ended up making two band two albums. In between was the album Zuckerzite, which is just Cluster. Michael Rother was not there at the time. Oh man, he must have been getting water <laughs> for weeks. Yeah, <laughs> just weeks at a time. <laughs> so Zuckerzite translates to roughly sugar time or sugar era. Oh, and sugar so it era. is like all about this kind of like sweet time here. Mm. So Michael Rother, I think he was off touring with Noi actually. Uh, he didn't get Cluster to go with him, apparently. <laughs> but he notably left behind a bunch of his equipment, a bunch of his synthesizers and stuff. Uh-huh. So Mobius and Rudelius are like, score, we're using your synths, you're not here, can't tell us what to do. Also, probably Michael Rather was just fine with it because he left him there. Yeah, and I would, I would think he wouldn't, he wouldn't be like, oops, I forgot all my synthesizers. <laughs> <laughs> what will I do? So the album Zucker's Eight was recorded on a four track. Wow! In this in in farmhouse like ancient farmhouses in this tiny rural town. Oh, that's awesome! There. That's I know, awesome. which does not sound like that. It does not sound lo-fi no. when you listen to it at all. No, it doesn't. Um, it's actually rather than being an album, it's actually like two EPs that are melded together. Okay. Mobius and Rodelius apparently recorded five songs, each completely independently, without the other person's involvement. Oh. And they put them together. It's not. It's not like a first side, second side thing. They're like. It's like two guys. Oh, I meant like you know, like on the album. It's not like Mobius has the first side of the album. Rodilius has the second side. They like go back and forth. Oh, oh, oh! They They combine them together, mesh them together. Got it. Got it. The Rodilius has kind of a warmer, poppier, more melodic sound. This is something I didn't really realize until I was uh, uh, researching this album. So I, I made a little playlist to have each of their songs all in a row. To listen to them that way and see if you can come up with more ideas there. Rodelius is definitely warmer, poppier, more melodic. Mobius is a little more experimental, generally a little stranger. But it still it feels pretty cohesive to me when you put them together. I would not know that That's, there were two totally separate composers. Yeah, no, Just on my, on my list, you know. Yeah, no, and again, I, I've listened to this album, you know, a hundred times, and I didn't know that. 
Um, but it was more obvious when listening to their songs as a row. So before we get more into talking about the the album and sending things over to you, Jake, for your your opinions on it, uh, I had mentioned that like early seventies krautrock, it feels like either like a big family or like kind of incestuous because all mm. these guys are like overlapping with all these different places. It seems to be exclusively men. Like I yeah. I can't oh, find yeah. any major, you know any of the ones that I've gotten into don't no. seem to have women involved. It's it like, seems to be a very man thing. It's like but online then, gaming or something. It's just guys. <laughs> it's just dudes. Sorry. Crowd rock synthesizers, <laughs> all dudes. All dudes. I mean, but to be fair, like early seventies classic rock is almost entirely men too. Of you know? course it's it is. Yeah. It's it's oh. very much a boys club, which is a little unfortunate. But yeah, you're right. So here's some of their famous collaborators, Jake. Okay. We'll start with Connie Plank. It's a pretty good name. Plank is a pretty good name there, you know. Connie is a man, just so you know. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> uh, he was producer on albums including Cluster, Harmonia, Kraftwerk, Noi, Can, and he was involved with albums including albums by Brian Eno, mm-hmm. Depot, mm. Ultravox, yeah. The Arrhythmics, oh boy. and Flock of Seagulls. That's every single synthesizer band ever. You just named them exactly. all. Exactly. <laughs> That's all of them. That's all of them. Wow. And, and also Can, who isn't a synthesizer band. Uh, Michael Rother of Noi was also in Kraftwerk at one point. What? Before, okay. I think before Noi. Uh, Peter Bauman of Tangerine Dream produced a Cluster album, one of the later ones. Holger Zuke, which I'm sure I messed up that. Yeah, you, got, that. you nailed it. Is the major uh, creative force behind Can. He played bass on one of Cluster's later albums. And we do have one of my favorite musicians, Brian Eno. Mm, he Eno. made one official, cl- or he made a official collaborative albums, one with Harmonia and two with Cluster. Uh, he also recorded with Harmonia, he recorded their Harmonia album on his way to Switzerland to work on a little album named Low by David Bowie. And Never apparently he, heard was of late, he was late to the sessions because he was hanging out in Forced, having a good time. <laughs> Making music with the harmonia. He was like, I have to wait for the bread to rise. I can't come now. <laughs> like, I, I want to go to this. I want to see what this magic spell was. Uh, this yeah, town. no like, doubt. Everyone's just, love, everyone's just like, this is the best. I, this is where I want to be. That just makes it sound but, like a, even more like a cult. Like, everyone's just well, churning, churning I, butter or whatever. If I can, you know, like, make an album like Zuckerside, I will join the cult. It sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> in 1974. Right, but not in so Brian Eno, uh, he was a huge fan of Harmonia and later Cluster, but he described Harmonia as the most important rock band in the world. That's in, number one. Like 75, 76, something like that. He said that about Harmonia. Boom. That's how taken he was. Harmonia only lasted two albums and then the one, the collaboration with Brian Eno, which actually didn't come out until the 90s. But they recorded an entire album's worth in 76 with him. And then he left after that, did two collaborative albums with Cluster. So, Wow. I know, it's good times there, all these weird connections. It's a spinning world. <laughs> the spinning world, it still spins. But that's uh, that's part of the gateway aspect, too, is it yeah. ends up, you know, as these end up connecting with, like, these direct connections bring you out to other bands, and then when it connects into, like, Brian Eno, who I was already familiar with, you know, that might I don't remember exactly how I got to Zucker's. I, it might have been for Brian Eno, but I think it was, I think I saw a review in Pitchfork or something. Mm-hmm. That just sounded interesting, so I gave it a listen and went, yeah, getting this. But then when it comes back to Brian Eno and you get these connections out to David Bowie, who I'm a gigantic fan of, like, all these other connections around and, you know, you throw in, like, Robert Fripp and King Crimson and stuff and you just keep branching out and finding all these different yeah. avenues. It's a true, true gateway. 
a true which is really it's really fun it's really fun to see all this stuff so having listened to this before we get into too much of the sound i'm gonna send things over to jake now jake is not a much of a fan of electronic music as i am correct and i mean by electronic i'm not like an edm fan i'm not into house music and stuff but i just i especially like 70s weird synthesizer type music where they're exploring completely new things i like experimental music in general Jake's not totally against it, but he is definitely not. You're not totally against it. No, I'm not totally. No, of course not. not. Don't say that. Hey, come on. Let's not do this right now. But uh, definitely not the fan that I am. Um, But with that said, I think this album is is generally pretty easy to like um, for weird experimental electronic music. I'm gonna th- I think you're gonna give it a, a 0.5. A 0.5, okay. On the positive side, but not that positive. All right, all right. Well, um, well, let's find out what happens here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I imagine well, that I imagine that making purely electronic music sound this relatively warmish uh, was probably a major breakthrough in 1973 and 74. Uh, but from the opening note, Chaz, I sound I, I hate to say it, this album sounds a little silly or cheap to me, like right hmm. away. Um, it may be that I'm not that naturally interested in synthesizer music. It's never been a main appeal for me. And there were years that I thought th- synthesizers and music might be purely like antithetical to my preferences altogether. Um, I've definitely changed my tune on that in recent years, mostly due to the influence on me of uh, Y Oaks Shriek, um, which is synthesizer-based, and, and I love that album um, from 2014. Um, hey, I understand that. I was the same way about slide guitars for a long time. Like It took me a while to be like... To, to hear even slide. a slide guitar and be like, that's okay. So what, right. so what changed your mind? Was there something that changed your mind? Um, the one that most comes to mind is uh, Bright Eyes and uh, Wide Awake It's Morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's Some the one that I guitar. remember being like a little like opening things up and be like, no, no, this is an okay sound. <laughs> it's just that so much music I don't like also contains this. It's not about the slide guitar. It's about, you know, bad country western music. Okay. Uh, yeah, and there is that in bad country western music, no doubt about it. And you, you know, have got the bad, especially '80s Oof. synthesizer pop music. There's tons Ooh, of awful stuff out daddy. there. Daddy, is there <laughs> ever? Uh, so on that note, I I still don't seek out electronic music or synthesizer bands or artists with a synthesizer foundation. I suppose the Eurythmics are probably a childhood example of something that I do love that is mostly synthesizers. Um, and I still think I appreciate the synthesizers more in the margin or as um, adjunct um, to my favorite music. Um, and it could be that no matter how hard Cluster worked to make these sounds sound more natural, it still sounds in the future uh, like a Casio transportable piano from the early 90s to me, a little bit. Um, okay. I think of Stevie Wonder using over 100 contributors to synthesize the horns and some of the other parts on songs in the key of life. 1976 and it's hard for me uh, not to wonder like why <laughs> why not why not use <laughs> in you know that case, yes why not use like why did you do why that? not use horns you know you have right. you have this, every... was, this was two guys this one makes a little no no sense. it's and it's a totally different aesthetic and it's actually an achievement because the sound the, the horns on songs in the key of life sound like horns but they're synthesizers which is crazy um but i also get the cluster might not have been trying to make it sound like real instruments necessarily mm-hmm but to artfully mess around with this newish technology and use it to create new genres of music. Um, the, the thing I, I appreciate this about this album most is the uh, genre minimalism inherent in it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, due partly to the pulse and rhythms that are at the bedrock of the songs. So these grooves generally are the most effective for me, 
as a listener and give me that comforting, minimalistic feeling that I like. I also appreciate when they repeat melodies with different instrumentation and work around them with harmonies. Um, again, it's the repetition that works well within the framework of the repetitive songs. But I don't like it as much when they go off on these semi-improvisatory synth jags. Uh, it just makes it sound like juvenile to me. They're <laughs> just like... Uh, I appreciate it also. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I've probably listened to my kids mash their fingers on the various cheap and ready available synthesizer pianos we've had over the years. Um, and it sounds kind of the same. Um, so I'll ask you this, Chess, and I and yeah. this, is, this is a real question. Is this music supposed to be hilarious at times? Are you supposed to think that it's funny to imagine um, these two lily white German guys surrounded by room sized synthesizer modules? very seriously and studiously pounding out these sweetly goofy sounding hot synthesizer licks while nodding to each other and maybe making eye contact um, while they're doing it. Like that cracks me up. Is it, is there any humor inherent in the music or was it completely serious? I wouldn't say it was dead serious. Like this is definitely like, this isn't super serious. Like they're having fun clearly. Great. Right? This okay. Good. This is meant to be a sunny fun. But I wouldn't say it was intentionally humorous. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. And I don't, I don't think it's like, I'm not laughing at them. I'm just wondering if I should be like laughing with them when they're like. Maybe a little bit. I think they're just having a, I think they're having just a great time living forced and just like loving life. And they, this is a very like positive, happy album. Like this isn't, it is, it is. Oh, I. Depeche Mode or something, you know? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not totally dark or whatever. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Um, So there's a little that I like here, including standout tracks, uh, Caramel, I guess, you say caramel like caramel in German? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I the closing track, Heibe Lippen. And, of mm-hmm. course, the song called James, which is the name of my firstborn child. Uh, but that's not enough to cut completely through the amateurish-sounding, but not in actuality amateurish, veneer. So I actually, my personal score, Chaz, is a negative 1.5. So I'm going down right, a little well. bit on that. Um, I did we really, wonder if... We really blew it on these last two. Uh, yeah, our well... Our last one was one where we really were off, and this one... That's why you play the game. Um, I did yeah. want to know... Uh, I didn't know that the two guys wrote them and performed them separate from one another. Um, I have three standout tracks. Do you know who wrote which ones? Let me let me look it up. I don't okay. remember I just want to know if I like appreciate one of them more than the other or something. I, I'm if it's too sure small of a sample not, size. As I'm... As I'm uh, like trying to remember because the last you mentioned the last track which is definitely not the same as the second track okay <laughs> all right so you mentioned caramel that's a mobius mobius Ibe lippin is a rodelius <laughs> james is a mobius okay well two out of three i don't i don't know i if they were all three by the same one, I would have been like, oh. Okay. oh. They both had illustrious solo careers later on. Well, I'm sure they did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Under their given last names. Both I can't tell. Awesome. I, I think I like Rodelius's name better, but it's a close call. It's a tough one. I mean, really? Mobius, be, I mean Mobius has his own strip. When you, get in, when you get in the Dieter, though, then Dieter Mobius, that's much better than Hans Joachim Rodelius. Yeah, but. Like, this is too much. But Rodelius has three names. <laughs> That's, a, yeah, well, that's sure. three. The first two are hyphenated. Three is more than two, which counts for something. I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's almost too much, you know. D 
Dieter Mobius, like that yeah, is a James no, that's Bond that's strong. Right that's there. real strong. You know, Dieter, he's like the Dieter Mobius. Mobius. You could have a song about a James Bond song about him. <laughs> Mobius. Mobius. He playing synthesizers in force. <laughs> Mobius. Mobius. It's kind of funny, but he doesn't think it is. Mobius. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's right. take it. So I, uh, you know, disagree a lot with this. I, I see a lot of what you're saying. Like, it is one of those things where it's kind of hard to, it comes in with synthesizer music, is as, because this was really cutting edge at the time. Absolutely. And the fact that they made yeah. it sound like this is very different. Is it, it is so warm sounding and very different than, say, like Kraftwerk that, you know, wanted it to sound cold and sterile and Harsh. industrial. Like they, they wanted it to sound like that. And that's not what this is at all. It's very, okay. but it is, it's something where, you know, this was so cutting edge and such unique and such a different sound. And then, uh, yeah, 20 years later, like a $50 Casio can, could play a lot of the same sounds, which is not the case at the time. Of course not. Um, so the album is almost entirely since the drums and machines. There clearly are some guitars on a couple tracks, oh, yeah. possibly for instruments. It's hard to tell, but there's not much on there. Um, it's got this drum machine underneath it and different sounds since on top. Um, I said a hundred times how warm it sounds. And part of that was that they are not, I don't know how they did all this. I have no clue. I could not find out much information about what they were playing and what they were using. I don't, some of them, the stuff might've been custom, honestly, but they're clearly playing most of it rather than like programming it. The drums are programmed, but they're playing over the top of it. It right. sounds like a keyboard sound or something, which that makes it different than, I mean, think of like other early synthesizer, even in means like think about uh, like Bob O'Reilly from the who. Sure. Which is great. That's a great song. Oh, but that, that synth nut, which I know was very, you know, that's very cutting edge at the time. But it's it's programmed. It's just this. There's no way playing that. Like you, you program it in and you, you hit the button or whatever sure. it is and, you know, and it goes. And that's not what this is at all. Um, to me, this does not sound, you know, so many of those 80s synth bands sound horribly dated. They just sound awful. You can't separate it from that time period. Right. And to me, right. this does not sound nearly like this. It's not like. It doesn't sound like it's very specific sounds that I've heard in other times. Well, it's also in its, it's a little more. It's in its favor uh -huh. that there's no lyrics, there's no singing. Like it's not yep. it's not tied to these other, you know, cultural artifacts from from the time period. Yeah, it's true. And um and so it has something of a pop to it, but it's kind of a sunny warped pop. Like it's just it, it I, I've read some reviews where they talk about how like this is like this big pop sound, but I don't I don't think of it that way. It's it's definitely got a beat and stuff, which is so different than their previous albums that okay. have like that are something ambient on there. But um, to me, this just is one of those albums I can listen to over and over again. Hmm. Like it just grabs me, and just the sounds of it are so unique and just interesting. And I remember when I first this is one of those albums that I first got it, and I just listened to it. I mean, literally got done with it and started over right over again. And um, I got it when I was I was doing working my master's degree. And so I was listening to almost all of my music on my computer while working on papers and stuff. And so this is one of those when you go into my iTunes where I've got like every track has been listening to, you know, 35 or 40 times. <laughs> right. Like it's because right. I was listening to it almost exclusively on that computer when I was at my most excited about it. I wasn't listening to it on a CD player or something. It was all on my computer. So all of those listen to yeah. But um, for me, this is a huge album. and I love this album and I give it a four. Whoa! Damn. Quite a. That might be our biggest... Uh, gap between uh, our I, I, I think it's 5.5 it gap. We yeah. haven't had many negatives, so. No. Man. All right. So, Cluster in later years, just to close things out here, they did release several more albums after this, including a couple more with Harmonia. 
Um, multiple collaborations with Brand New, I mentioned that. And then they go on to, they kind of broke up in 1981 originally, and they both did tons of solo work and tons of collaborate with other people. They had a couple of different reunions, one of them in the late 80s into the 90s, another one in the late 2000s. In 2010, they broke up again. Mm. But, Jake, hmm? Regilius formed a new band hmm. called Cluster. <laughs> oh, no. With a Q this time. <laughs> now you're talking. That's right. Rodilius, you sly son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> All right. Well, that was that was uh, that was excellent. Uh, we want to thank Rodelius. We want to thank Mobius, and we want. We thank do not want to thank Schnitzler. Schnitzler for having a dumb name. Schnitzler, <laughs> come on, get out of your Schnitzler. Schnitzler brought back Cluster with a K multiple times. By the way, <laughs> Schnitzler, <laughs> not cool, man. Use a Q uh-huh, if you're gonna do itself. any. If you're gonna do anything uh, silly, just use the Q. Uh, use uh, the K. All right, so uh, next time on Louder Than Sound, we are doing, uh, quote-unquote, one artist original soundtracks. These are soundtracks to real movies, um, which feature the vision of one composer. And um, I will be presenting to you, as the first episode in a series of two, Benoit Charest's The Triplets of Belleville. So we'll get into that next time. But until then, I'm Jake. I'm Charlie. We're saying goodbye. We'll see you next time on Louder Than Sound.